0: Welcome to this podcast from the Annals of the American Thoracic Society. I'm Dr. Michelle Ngong, Deputy Editor for the Annals, and I'm here with Dr. Jennifer Stevens. Dr. Stevens is a fellow in the Harvard Combined Pulmonary and Critical Care Program and a research fellow in the Center for Healthcare Delivery Science at the Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center in Boston. She's the lead author on the article that we will discuss today titled, Elements of a High-Quality Inpatient Consultation in the Intensive Care Unit, a Qualitative Study. Welcome, Dr. Stevens.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: Our pleasure. Let me start by asking you about your study. Most of us delivers or receives inpatient consults on our patient in the ICU on a daily basis. What was the motivation and the perceived need for conducting a more formal study of this routine event in our medical practice?
1: You've, you've highlighted it right in your question, which is that inpatient consultation is something that happens a lot in the hospital, particularly in the ICU. At our hospital, when we looked at it, we found that about a third of all medicine patients get at least one consult. And we're usually involving consultants for something that's pretty important. After all, a consult represents essentially a call for help <laughs> to a physician outside of your field that's,
0: mm-hmm.
1: that's either for procedural help or sometimes even cognitive help. So essentially, here's an exposure that probably happens to millions of patients, and often usually the sickest patients, that often has the potential to lead to either downstream diagnostic tests, interventions, at its worst, sometimes diatrogenesis. So it seems like something we should be studying actively, but then when I looked at the literature, it actually turned out that we really didn't know that much about it. Dr. Lee Goldman and his colleagues back in the 80s actually wrote a pretty seminal work about this to help guide consultants how to work with their colleagues, but this was primarily grounded in their experience and not, incidentally, a lot has changed in the past 30 years, including the patients in our hospitals and particularly our ICUs getting a lot sicker. And then some other authors have pursued this in interesting ways, looking at the utility of consults in their specific field. But they actually usually treat the consultants or the consultation itself as equivalent to itself. So essentially like a pill of aspirin as an exposure. So something I think our clinical experience, our everyday work would tell us isn't likely to be the case. I think at least as a fellow and certainly when I was a resident, I saw a wide range of clinical outcomes that happened to patients who had consultations. So there was the consultant who whisked in and whisked the patient off to a procedure and saved the day or the, pa- the consultant who came in and Broke the case wide open, like an infectious disease consultant, for example. But there were also a lot of consultants that either didn't contribute anything or were still either stymied or delayed care or again led to, led patients down a path that, that potentially ended in unnecessary diagnostic tests. So our study represents basically the first effort to put this incredibly common consultation process particularly in the ICU, under the microscope and then to tease apart that process itself so that we could understand what causes a consult to happen and then what makes up a good or a bad consult.
0: Yeah, you know, it's um, it's fascinating because everybody has some idea about what a consult should be like. Right. But you actually went about studying this in a more formal manner. Now, many people may not be familiar with the qualitative research method that you use to do this study. So can you describe for us how you went about finding the elements of a high-quality inpatient consultation? Sure, sure.
1: Qualitative methods themselves are, are helpful in this kind of thing because they really allow us to understand the intimate detail of how a process actually takes place. And I should take a step back to say that they're also useful in a project like this where it's actually relatively unstudied. And so if you were to try to design a large-scale quantitative study, You wouldn't know which quantitative questions to ask. So it allows you to examine in a rigorous and scientific way a process and unpack it, particularly these complex aspects of clinical care. So when we came at this research question, we wanted to use appropriately rigorous qualitative methods, and my mentor and senior author, Mike Howell, and I collaborated with two other people, a physician in general medicine, Mara Schoenberg, who has pretty decent experience in this methodologic space. And then actually a sociologist, Anna Johansson, who works both in qualitative methods and team science. And I'll walk through the the specifics of the uh, process that we used. Very concretely, it's called a mixed methods approach. So we took a semi-structured interview guide and sat down with the different critical care attendings and conducted these formal and recorded interviews. And then we built a codebook of themes that were emerging from early interviews, and then we iteratively improved that codebook. And finally, two physicians and then one non-physician coded every interview to pull out all of the themes that emerged as part of this process. In qualitative methods, you conduct interviews and seek out new participants until you reach what's called thematic saturation, or basically no new information is emerging from the conversations. And this actually happened relatively early in our process, which gave us some additional confidence in our findings.
0: So this is really much more than just interviewing physicians about their views or a focus group. This is really a a systematic way of making sure that you have covered all views and dissected out all of the concerns from the different parties until you feel satisfied that there are no new elements that are being brought into play. Is that an accurate description of what you've done?
1: That's exactly right. And the other element that we tried to include was by involving a non-physician and particularly a sociologist, we were bringing into the evaluation process someone who doesn't bring with them the clinical perspective of working in the ICU themselves like Michael and I do.
0: I see. So that's actually a um, somewhat unbiased view, I guess. That's the hope. (laughs) (laughs) So in the context of your findings, How should the practicing ICU physician or trainee like yourself evaluate the quality of the consults that they have received or the quality of the consults that they deliver when they're asked to give a consult to other services?
1: So, as I mentioned, we achieved thematic saturation really quite early in the process and what we found were that there were seven elements that emerged as measures of the quality of consults among the ICU physician participants. That, that might be helpful to practicing physicians who are trying to evaluate consults on their own. Uh, the first is the decisiveness of the consult, or the consultant themselves. The second is how thorough that consultant was as opposed to the person who comes in and offers a more superficial approach. The third was how interested and engaged the consultant appeared. The fourth was how professional the consultant was. The fifth was the degree of expertise that the consultant brought to the clinical situation. The sixth was how timely the consultant was, particularly in the context of the time frame that the primary team had actually given them, especially in the context of the ICU. And the seventh was how much the consultant was involved with the patient's family, both for good and for bad. So these seven themes came up for us repeatedly, but they also suggested that there were these seven major axes along which the quality of consultation could vary in concert. So as an example, you might judge a consult to be poor, even if the consultant provides a lot of expertise, if he does so in a way that actively tries to humiliate the intern who called him, so therefore behaving in an unprofessional way. Or you could have a consulting team that shows up right away in a super timely way, but only sends the intern from their team, so doesn't really provide much in the way of expertise. So a couple of things. We learned that consults are a far cry from either just good or just bad or even all the same. And we found that while medical expertise was important, the quality of the consult was also determined by these other six elements that could potentially actually affect a patient's outcome.
0: So that's fascinating. In, in some ways, it's, it's intuitive, but you guys put us together in the context of how each might relate to each other. Exactly. So your study concentrated on the consults to the medical ICU at one center. How can your results be similar or different when we consider consults in other areas at a hospital or actually in other kind of settings, such as a community hospital or another kind of academic center? You
1: know, I should say that we started in the ICU partly because we hypothesized that consults happen more frequently in this space and with a greater degree of urgency, so we essentially wanted to use the ICU as a laboratory in which to study this, this particular aspect of clinical care. And, of course, our participants have worked in other settings around town and, and around other parts of the country, so they brought with them a range of experiences, but you're absolutely right that this was a single-center qualitative study. So I think the study itself could be generalized or introduced into um, other areas of medicine or other um, ways of practicing in two different ways. One is for active users of consults themselves, like we've been discussing. But the second is around the hypotheses that this sort of project might generate. So, for f- folks who might be listening to this, who are daily users of consults, and or you know, we often spend a decent amount of time as consultants ourselves. The seven aspects of consult quality provide at least a starting point by which they can examine their own consultants and the advice they give their colleagues, but of course should be explored in more clinical settings to ensure the validity as with any single center project. But I think the other major theme that emerged from our study, which I haven't spent much time talking about today, and I think will have implications for other institutions, non-academic settings in other parts of the country, was that we learned that other non-clinical factors have an impact on how good or bad a consult is particularly factors that are outside of the primary team, the patient, and the consulting team, the people who are actively participating in the consult itself. So just as a small example, a consult that's called on a Sunday is just not going to be as timely as a consult called on a Wednesday. So I think some of these things are going to have interesting implications for other clinical environments and might give us different avenues to explore what this potential variability in consultation might mean for consultation rates and consultation quality in different settings.
0: Certainly the seven elements that you've mentioned um, are common themes of almost all kind of practice and may serve as the uh, building point for looking at what you should be looking for in a consult and how you should give it. So you mentioned earlier in, in this discussion that um, this was a good way to start when there isn't any Data out there about how to approach and define a high-quality inpatient consultation. So now that you've done the study, what would be the next steps in in defining and evaluating a high-quality consult, and how would you use what you find um, in the future?
1: Like you say, this is this is something that's happening a lot. So you know, taking a step back again, here's an exposure that happened to a large percent happens to a large percentage of patients that we haven't had a way of of measuring before, and that I actually think this work is going to be a first step towards correcting that, that this could function as foundational work that leads naturally to the development of a tool, for example, grounded in these seven drivers of consultation quality, that such a tool would allow us to measure for the first time which consults were actually good or which consults were actually bad in a rigorous and a reliable way, something that's essential for any tool in that kind of setting. And it would allow us to have larger-scale research, such as efforts to determine the patient-level outcomes of high and low-quality consults, and then lead to prospective efforts to target low-quality consults to improve care. So essentially, I hope this study represents the first steps towards investigating, unpacking, and understanding this exceedingly common exposure for patients.
0: Well, I congratulate on the very least, it lends a common language by which we can use to talk about the kind of consults we deliver and the kind of consults we can um, receive. Mm -hmm. Dr. Stevens, I want to thank you on behalf of the Annals for joining us on this podcast to speak about your findings from your qualitative study on the elements of a high-quality inpatient consultation in the intensive care unit.
1: Thank you again for having me.
0: You're welcome. I invite all the listeners to read Dr. Stevens' article for more details in the June issue of the Annals of the American Thoracic Society. Dr. Stevens, thank you once again for your time. Thank you.